Good evening. Please have your Bible ready. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. There are three books here together in the New Testament. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Loaded with good instruction for elders and preachers, but not limited to elders and preachers. Every Christian should become acquainted with the content of these important books in the New Testament. I'm going to read now 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Sometimes people will ask me a question something like this. What is the greatest danger facing the Lord's church today? Now, the question itself says something. The question generally is, what is the greatest danger facing the Lord's church today? I'm never asked, Brother Berkeley, what are the greatest blessings 
of being a member of the Lord's church. I'm never asked, what are the greatest things happening in the Lord's church today? What I hear and what other preachers my age may hear is, what is the greatest danger facing the Lord's church today? All right, let's put the best interpretation on the intent behind the question. People who ask this want to know what the dangers are so they can be alert and perhaps prevent apostasy. That's good, but there is still a problem. The problem in my case is, I don't know the answer. Somebody says, what are the greatest dangers facing the Lord's church today? And my problem is, I don't have an answer. I don't know. Let me explain. For 29 years, getting close to 30, I've been located right here. In the travel that I do, I visit four or five local churches in a year. I used to think I knew a lot of Christians and preachers. However, I have to put that in perspective. There are Christians all over the world. I mean people who follow the New Testament as their guide, just as we intend to do. There are local churches of Christ all over the world. My knowledge of conditions and dangers represents less than 1% of the whole, if that much. So when the question comes up, I usually respond with that very disclaimer. I do not have worldwide knowledge. And then I speak of something common or generic wherever Christians are. Worldliness is a problem everywhere. False teaching is a problem everywhere. Immorality and lack of deep commitment to the Lord. Those are problems everywhere. Those are very safe answers when somebody says, what are the dangers facing the Lord's church today? See, I'm just not comfortable making some assessment about the universal church. I'm not qualified. But there is something I am qualified to do and I am charged to do. I can speak from Scripture and tell brethren what they need to know and do, whoever they are, and wherever they are, and whatever particular time frame they occupy. See, Paul didn't require Timothy to offer up his assessment of conditions in the church worldwide. Paul didn't give Timothy that obligation. Paul didn't tell Timothy and Titus to take the pulse of the brethren and give a report to everybody. He did say to Timothy, here's what you need to put before the brethren. I want you to look at verse 6 in 1 Timothy 4. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant. Paul didn't say to Timothy and to Titus, Find out what's going on everywhere. There are local churches across the world. 
and assess all that and give your judgment of all that to the brethren. That's not what it says. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, what are these things Timothy was to put before the brethren? The things we've read in this context in 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Christians Timothy taught locally and wherever Timothy was needed to hear these things. First, some will depart from the faith. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. This is what Timothy was to put before the brethren. There will always be people who depart from the faith. As sad as that is. The devil did his work in Paul's time. The devil did his work in Timothy's generation. And without any question, the devil is doing his work today. Wherever Christians are. And there are those... Then, and there are those today deceived by the work of the devil, deceived by his initial deception, and therefore they leave the Lord and they perpetuate the error they embraced. So if someone asks me about the condition of local churches worldwide, I, I don't have that knowledge. I can't be specific as to what's happening in every location. But I can say... What Paul wrote, and what Timothy read, and what Timothy was to say, and what evangelists are charged to say to people. Some will depart from the faith. I don't like that. God is offended when this happens. Damage is done and consequences are set in motion. But this is the reality when self-will overrides good knowledge and wisdom. Sometimes people who once served God faithfully are deceived, are tempted, and leave. And it says the conscience is seared over. Look at that phrase. The conscience is seared over. When I was a little boy... My daddy thought I needed to see all kinds of things. And when I was a little boy, he took me out to a farm to watch while a cow was branded. With a hot iron that was crafted with a specific identification symbol, pressed into the flesh of the animal. And it was explained to me by the farmer that at the place where that brand was pressed, there would no longer be any pain or sensation after that initial impression. Because that portion of the hide would no longer have any feeling or pain. 
Now, that's the language that Paul uses. That's the, that's the symbolism that's present in that phrase. There are people who leave the Lord and embrace error or immorality or both. And over time, if they continue to move away from the Lord, there comes a time when the conscience is seared over. And that means the pain of offending God is no longer felt. What a sad condition. They become morally numb, insensitive, no more shame as they gather around them liars and deceitful spirits. See, no old preacher can report to you what the specific dangers are in every region of the world or every city. But every preacher ought to be telling Christians and warning Christians that some depart from the faith and reach a point where the conscience is seared over and they become morally and spiritually numb and the pain of offending God is no longer present. That's what Paul said Timothy needed to tell the brethren. So I'm telling us. So I can't tell you what's happening everywhere around the world, but I can remind us to steer a course away from the irreverent, and in the English Standard Version it says, the silly. Verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Have you noticed what some churches are doing as a part of their work? We all know that denominational and community churches, many, many, have become entertainment centers. Even among some churches of Christ, there is heavy emphasis on food and entertainment and social events. There is movement away from the reverent worship of God toward the worldly, the irreverent, and in some cases, the silly. One example in this church, where someone thought it would be a good idea in the middle of what they called their worship assembly to throw beach balls into the audience just for fun and to wake up the crowd. There are even some people in the world who see no wrong in this and, and who applaud it, but there are some people out in the world who recognize the direction of religion today. Jeff Foxworthy is a comedian, but he has this quotation. If your preacher needs smoke bombs, rock bands, theater lights, dramatic skits, and circus acts to keep people interested, then you need a new preacher. I don't know what's happening everywhere, but I know we must do the Lord's work here and not be attracted to what's happening in other churches and be lured into the irreverent and silly things that people do and call it religion and worship. Train yourself for godliness. That leads me to the next thing. We may not know what is happening everywhere around the world, 
But godliness must have a very high place, the highest place among us. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And then in verse 11, Paul says to Timothy, Command and teach these things. This is one of those passages that I label what it's all about. What it's all about. There are local churches of Christ in South Africa, India, Ethiopia, Germany, the Philippines, and Russia following the New Testament pattern. I can't tell you what dangers they face. I don't have that kind of knowledge. I can tell you if they are following the New Testament pattern, they're not turning the local church into a gym or a CrossFit center. Their focus is on godliness. This is what it's all about. Learning who God is, reading His Word, motivation to be like Him and follow Christ and preach the gospel to develop character as taught in Scripture. There is great gain in godliness. This emphasis, I know, is needed everywhere. I may not know what's happening in local churches in the Philippines or Ethiopia, but I know that this emphasis is needed everywhere. And then there is this important paragraph. I want to take you from 11 down to 16 in 1 Timothy 4. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress." Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. You're acquainted, those of you who know me, with the passion that I have for training young preachers. I have that because I believe that's part of the charge that Paul gave to Timothy and Titus and to evangelists to train the next generation. When I speak to young preachers about their life and their work, I often go through this passage. 1 Timothy 4, 12 to 16. If I have a man in front of me that I'm talking to or on the phone or in whatever kind of forum, maybe a group of young men, we read this passage together and we resolve to apply it to our lives and our work. And I ask young preachers to keep this instruction close at hand. But here's what I want to say now. 
This wasn't written just for Timothy. This wasn't written just for preachers or just for young preachers. Christians need to know what the New Testament says about evangelists, about preachers. Christians need to know what the New Testament standard is for the work of an evangelist. And Christians ought to hold their preachers to this standard. Now the gift in verse 14 pertains to first century prophecy in the era of the apostles. But everything else here needs to be applied by preachers and Christians need to know this is the standard. And they need to communicate to young men and preachers that come in. This is what we expect. See, preachers can't tell you what's happening around the world in churches. What the dangers and problems are here and over there and somewhere else. Here's what we can and must do. Be an example to the believers. Devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture, which implies the private reading of Scripture, so that you are equipped for exhortation and teaching. Paul says, practice these things. And then I want you to look at the phrase where Paul punctuates the importance of this for preachers and for the knowledge of all Christians. He says, immerse yourself in them. Yes, that's the word. Baptize yourself in these things that are written for preachers. Preaching isn't just a job. You immerse yourself in the work and there must be progress. And then the preacher is told in verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself. Now, that, that's it, isn't it? Somebody says... Brother Berkeley, you're, you've been doing this a long time. What's happening in Russia? What are you seeing in the Philippines? When you look out and watch over the universal... No, I can't do that. I can't look out and watch over the universal church. Here's what I'm charged to do. Keep a close watch on yourself. That's first. And on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is so important. I can't watch the churches in the world. I can't give reports to brethren about issues and dangers. I can't watch the brotherhood and try to fix everybody's problems. I can and must watch myself and make certain that I am so immersed in the word that my teaching and my exhortation is correct. And that I deliver it in such a way that you are taken to the word and you are motivated to live by it. Now the Spirit expressly says... That in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods 
that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You know what I've done tonight? Verse 6 is what I've done tonight. If you put these things before the brothers you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. I want you to hold me to this standard. I can't tell you what's happening around the world, perhaps not even across the street. I can and must tell you what the Word of God says while keeping a close watch on myself. I commend to you the fourth chapter of 1 Timothy for your knowledge and your acceptance and your review. Let's be standing as we sing. Take unto me holy.